Welcome, 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 crowdfunders. This is the Successfully Funded Podcast. I am your host, Sean Neal, co-founder of the Woodshed Agency. Now, many of you longtime listeners are sitting back going, wait a minute, what's going on? Where's Jeff? Where's Fuzzy? This isn't the normal host. Well, we are trying something different here at Woodshed Agency. Normally, uh, over the past few years that we've been running this podcast, Jeff has been focusing on the reward-based crowdfunding. These are your Kickstarters, your Indiegogos of the world. Um, Campaign founders that are looking at um, launching a product or an idea or a service or or some kind of object where the backer will pledge to um, be one of the first people to get the thing. And uh, that is basically how reward-based crowdfunding works. And that is still a big core of our business. That is a big part of what we focus on. But over the last few years, there has been an emerging type of crowdfunding called investment crowdfunding or equity crowdfunding. This is a little bit different. This is the type of platforms, uh, your WeFunder, Start Engines, MicroVentures, um, Republics of the World, uh, that um, still use the main mechanisms of crowdfunding and digital marketing, but the outcomes are different. Instead of investing in getting a product or, or a reward or, or for your pledge, investors are actually investing in the company. Uh, the company's trying to raise capital, usually capped off at about a million dollars a year, to then go forth and scale their business. Sometimes they're using the capital to build a team or to um, invest further into research or, or um, get those big things that they need to be able to um, produce their product or their idea or their business on scale. And it isn't necessarily um, about the, the person backing it getting a thing in return. What they're getting in return is a piece of the company, equity, just similar to how you would do stocks or bonds. Um, This type of crowdfunding is heavily regulated by the SEC, and there are a lot more rules around it, and the different types of crowdfunding that exist in this plane sometimes limit who can be an investor. So, um, since this has been a big part of our business for about the last two years with Woodshed Agency, and since this is becoming a, a growing avenue of excitement in crowdfunding, not only with um, new people and companies entering this space that normally wouldn't participate in crowdfunding, but also being kind of the natural evolution of companies that have had a lot of success in launching products on Kickstarter or Indiegogo. And as they're kind of um, converting from this, you know, people with an idea type company to uh, an actual company of scale with employees and and payroll taxes and and these kind of things where, where it's turning into a real business, Reward-based crowdfunding has become a a logical next step in uh, what you do after you've had a successful Kickstarter or two under your belt. So we thought it would be really important to start to interview these types of campaigns every week on our podcast. And uh, since Jeff has been really in the weeds with all things digital marketing and and reward-based crowdfunding, we thought it'd be interesting to start hearing my voice on this side of it, where we talk about... um, the, the, not only the investment crowdfunding campaigns and talk to the, like we do um, with our reward base um, interviews on successfully funded talk to project creators, but also talk to um, different people and businesses and stakeholders in the economy of scale. You know, what it takes to uh, go from an idea and successfully execute and deliver um, those first few products or those first few ideas and then transform into a business. You know, maybe you're quitting your day job and you're, you're focusing on this in your real life, or maybe, you know, it's, uh, an existing business like a brewery or, or a bar or whatnot, and you're, you're expanding and you're, you're growing 
and um, really starting to compete out there in the marketplace. So that's what we're going to do with these episodes. Um, we're going to follow a similar format. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the world of widget agency from my perspective. And uh, we're going to interview project creators out there and CEOs and founders and and the people involved in these platforms and, and other stakeholders in this type of crowdfunding so that not only we can, you know, communicate to an even bigger audience of, of people who are out there who might be thinking about doing their first crowdfunding and that first crowdfunding being an equity crowdfunding, but also to all those longtime listeners that have um, run very successful crowdfunding campaigns of their own, maybe on Kickstarter or Indiegogo, and they're kind of wondering, you know, what's the next step? You know, what, what, what do I need to do to really, you know, generate some big capital here and really scale my idea and scale my business? And reward-based crowdfunding might just be the thing for that. So we're going we're gonna to roll up our sleeves, dig deep with these uh, project creators, and uh, talk about the world of, uh, of equity crowdfunding. So today's interview is with Dawn Dixon. She's the CEO and founder of a Columbus-based company called Popcom that is actually on their second um, successful equity-based crowdfunding campaign over on Start Engine. They're doing Regulation CF crowdfunding, which is um, very similar to reward-based crowdfunding where that anyone can be an investor uh, with the, the caveat that you are capped at a $1,070,000 raise per year. So um, they had a great campaign last year um, where they, had, they raised $170 million and were oversubscribed. And then as soon as the, the year regulation let out, they opened up another round of investment. And uh, at the time of the interview, I think they were at about $750,000. So they're, they're cranking right along. So coming up soon, we'll be uh, talking to Dawn. But in true successfully funded fashion, uh, we talk a little bit about what's going on at Witchet Agency, what's going on in our daily lives, kind of let you in uh, behind the curtain here uh, to see what we're what's going on in our world and what we're dealing with. So... Uh, what we're dealing with is social distancing. That's right. Uh, we are uh, you know, a Detroit-based company, and we are in the middle of the uh, COVID-19 crisis. We've been uh, shut down since mid-March. Um, th- this year, you know, was a milestone for Woodshed. We had opened up uh, an office just outside of Detroit where the primary team members, uh, Jeff, Aaron, and myself worked out of. Along with, um, we had kind of a revolving cast of of other team members that would do specific things like build our chat bots or our um, SMS messengers or, or various different things that we would we would uh, have them do around the uh, the business of running a digital marketing agency and a crowdfunding agency and um, you know with the shutdown uh, we had to close down the office um, to everyone but Jeff just the only one that uses it right now uh, to record the podcast and kind of do some work, and uh, I went back to my, my house in Detroit where I have a, uh, a video editing uh, office and studio here where I, I do a lot of the, the projects and uh, had to move back there. So, you know, in, in this world of social distancing, we've been back to working remote, and uh, I don't think I've seen Jeff physically outside of, like, house party or uh, uh, FaceTime or Zoom conferences uh, since about mid-March. So we are... We are definitely back to a, a homework company here. And, um, you know, the the story I want to tell you um, about kind of what I've been doing and, and a really great business story I've seen while uh, doing social distancing and, and the stay-at-home order here in Michigan is uh, with a buddy of mine, a fellow named Andy Diderosi, 
who uh, lives and works here in Detroit. And uh, in Detroit, he's known as the founder and CEO of Detroit Bus Company. They are uh, a charter bus company with, with kind of a unique spin. They, they recommission um, old uh, retired school buses and, and fixes them up. Uh, has local artists paint murals on them, so they're all very unique and distinctive. And he, uh, by night, he runs you know your typical charter bus uh, activities, you know, pub crawls and tours and weddings and events and and sports sport outings, all the things you would normally expect a charter bus company to do. And um, by day, they are a social good company. They use the profits they make from the charter bus side, and they do a ride-for-ride ride program where they they fill in the gaps of public transportation around the city of Detroit, giving uh, kids rides to schools or super low-cost busing for field trips and, and whatnot around education where, you know, just, just filling in the gaps in public transportation here in Detroit. And it's a, a really cool company, a very beloved company here in the city. And, you know, obviously with uh, – all non-essential services shut down and sporting events and, and bars and the like shut down. You know, a uh, tour bus company is the first thing to go. So him and I were talking, um, I think the day before, the day of the shutdown, about what he's going to do because, you know, he's got uh, about eight or nine front office staffers uh, that work at the company plus another 10 to 15 drivers that he employs. And, um, you know, these, these people were all going to be out of work. He was going to lay everyone off. Uh, with the shutdown. And uh, I tell you the story because he's a very unique individual. Um, he is, uh, oh, did I mention his other job is he is the uh, CMO of a startup called Basecamp, which is a software that we use daily here at Woodshed Agency, a, uh, an app for uh, co-working and, and distance working and, and team collaboration. And they're, they're very innovative in the way they do marketing. So he's, he's a, a fellow digital marketing professional. And he understands this business. And, um, you know, so he was facing having to close down the, the, the physical business of the bus company and lay off his staff. And he took a minute to regroup and, and think about, okay, what are the resources that I have? What's available to me um, to where I can, you know, keep my staff employed and, and keep going forward with the, the general mission of his company, which is, you know, do, do good things for the city. And as a bus company, it's it's uh, solving gaps in public transportation. But during the shutdown, what he figured out is that the World Health Organization's recipe for hand sanitizer, this is the liquid-based hand sanitizer they use in field hospitals and, and emergency rooms and, and hospitals around the world, is relatively easy to make if you can source the materials and you have the space to safely, in, in this time of social distancing, set up an assembly line. So that's what he did. You know, it started with a bunch of volunteers, me being one of them, going over and kind of doing a bucket brigade using materials he sourced from, you know, what you would normally do to, to brew a, a batch of, of beer at home. And we started hand mixing and hand making hand sanitizer in buckets. And, you know, being the resourceful fellow, leveraging his capital, leveraging his connections and, and ability to organize and engineer and digital market quickly grew this thing to the level of um, right now where they are putting out hand sanitizer in such demand that they've had to purchase a um, a tractor trailer tanker truck. These are these big uh, you know big trailers you see pulled behind semis that are filling up gas stations. Um, he has those sitting outside of the facility right now, full of all the ingredients. 
he needs to make hand sanitizer and went from a bucket brigade to uh, ever evolving, you know, sometimes uh, a handmade assembly line. Now he's he's investing in and purchasing um, commercial grade equipment to, to bottle hand sanitizer, and he's hired all of his employees back and then some, and uh, paid his volunteers. And now we're at the level uh, where he's producing anywhere from twelve hundred to two thousand gallons and shipping that per day all over the country. In, in just two short months of this uh, of this shutdown, not even two months really, and you know it's a great example of the mindset you need to have as a CEO with a startup. You know where um, problem solving and, and marshaling your resources and, and investing in yourself as a brand and an entity in the digital space and understanding the tools of digital marketing are so important because for anyone else that had the technical expertise of how to maybe make the sanitizer all that, they would hit a brick wall in how do I get my product out there? How do I, how do I you know, spread the word with, with extreme restrictions? You know, Facebook will not let you advertise these types of products right now um, out of fear of taking advantage of such, you know, who knows what, what, their, what their meaning is behind those rules. But basically through a word-of-mouth campaign, uh, through good social media content and, and leveraging his networks, He's been able to grow um, the the business of shipping hand sanitizer all over the country, and he's he stayed with his core values. You know, with a bus, the you know the the charter company fueled the ride for ride program, um, solving needs and, and holes in the public transportation in Detroit, and he's he's built uh, what he calls the arsenal of clean. This is the, the name of the new company, and they do a bottle for bottle program where everyone that buys a bottle online and has a bottle shipped to them anywhere in the country here, um, they donate a bottle to several organizations around Detroit, uh, uh, Meals on Wheels, uh, various different um, homeless shelters and entities providing these supplies to the hospitals and first responders to make sure that all those essential workers and, and people out on the front lines or people that don't have access to healthcare or access to resources um, in and around the city of Detroit are provided with this this critical cleaning supply that, that keeps them safe and, and keeps them uh, COVID virus free. So uh, my hat's off to Andy. Hopefully I can convince him to come talk to us soon here and successfully find and talk about the story in depth. But just a great example of, you know, when you have the right mindset and you've developed the right skills and invest in your personal network and your brand and you're nimble enough to pivot – and most importantly, like what we're going to be talking about um, in this series of podcasts on equity crowdfunding, that you have capital available to reassign and reinvest in your company, the types of things that you can do. And uh, so big applause to Andy over at Detroit Bus Company. If you need some hand sanitizer out there, um, go to thedetroitbus.com, and that is his website, or you can just Google Detroit Bus Company, and it'll take you right there. And um, you can get that hand sanitizer for yourself. Um, know that you're doing good, uh, that sanitizer is being supplied free of charge to first responders, hospitals, the homeless, um, Meals on Wheels, senior citizen homes, you name it, around the city of Detroit. Um, and in a, a fellow digital marketer out there doing a, a great job uh, in this time of, of COVID. So, yeah. So that's, uh, that's what's going on in our world. Um, I'm doing everything I can to keep myself entertained. <laughs> um, I've had, I think I've had more, uh, more house party conversations, more, uh, 
more uh, Snapchat video conferences with uh, friends and family that I, I don't normally see on a regular basis, almost nightly here. Uh, I think I need to curtail my bourbon intake on these on these meetups. But um, yeah, we do what we can. You know, we 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 persevere through this this crisis, and uh, most importantly, keep the business going, keep the activity going, and uh, use these tools that are available to us. All right, so. With that said, let's move over and talk to uh, Don Dixon, the founder and CEO of Popcom. All right, the red light is going, and that means we're recording and ready to go here. I'm sitting here with Don Dixon, the founder, CEO, and director of Popcom. So I got the first question I asked all my guests um, to kind of get the audio levels and everything set here. Uh, what did you have for breakfast today? I had water because I'm intermittent fasting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Part of my life, intermittent fasting. I eat around 3 o'clock. Okay, well, that's that's uh, let's not keep you then too long here because you're probably <laughs> gonna have an, I'm used to it, trust me, I'm used to it. An awesome lunch. So, um, tell us a bit about the company and, and uh, this awesome device you've created. Yeah, thanks again, Sean, for having me. I'm really excited. I love talking about crowdfunding and and you know what's able to be done when you leverage your community and your crowd. Um, Popcom is an automated retail technology company. And we have a hardware and software solution for self-service retail. So the easy way to say that is we make vending machines and kiosks smarter through data and analytics. And so we've created a whole operating system that allows these type of hardware devices for self-service retail to understand more about their customers. So everyone, so all the listeners can get a sense of what this device is. You know, we've all, anyone that's been to an airport has probably encountered a Best Buy vending machine for exactly. headphones and things like that. Um, yours looks like it was designed by Johnny Ive of Apple. It's that is exactly it, the goal. Thank you. It, it, I, I'm an Apple alumni, ten years in marketing, yes. so I know the look. But um, in a word, this thing's beautiful. Give thank us a description you. of this. What, what, what it? So only, I mean, yeah. thank you so much for recognizing that Apple was certainly my inspiration, and I always said to my team, I want to build the iPhone of vending machines. Um, so you know, they're very sleek. Um, the, 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 the appearance is different as where the, the typical traditional vending machine has a, it's a big box rectangle with glass where you see the product and you push some buttons and the product falls out. And I really wanted to change the user experience because so many of us are used to now shopping mobile, um, and just, you know, shopping online. And so we don't have to actually see or touch the product anymore. We're just, we just, we've been reconditioned. And so we're really used to touching things and being interactive and getting, you know, uh, messages targeted just towards us. So I wanted to bring that e-commerce mobile shopping experience to vending and brick and mortar. So the machines, um, they have a cabinet on the bottom and that's where the product is stored, but you don't see the product. It's like a branded cabinet. And uh, the focal point of the vending machine is a 32 inch monitor which delivers targeted advertising, messaging, product suggestions, or any information that the retailer wants to display. We have these enabled with facial detection software. So we don't recognize who you are, but we detect um, your approximate age, 
your gender and your emotions to be able to deliver targeted content based on those things. And then there's a second screening camera, which is the point of sale. And that's where you shop. And there, it's just like shopping online, exactly like browsing online, but it's a touch screen. So you're looking at the product selection. You're looking at for more information. You can see demos. And the other camera really calculates how long you've spent on the cam- on the monitor to understand your conversion rate, um, your engagement, and your emotions while shopping. And then it can make product suggestions to you based on your demographic profile and based on as the machine learns more, it will understand how certain demographics may prefer certain products and it will act accordingly. That, that's really interesting because, you know, when, when you engage, you know, for lack of a better world, we'll describe it the Best Buy machine, you know, it still has like the glass showing all the products that are in stock and you just kind of pick. It doesn't sell to you or, or offer right. customer service. And that seems like one of the big innovations of your product. Definitely. So it does actually sell to you, gives you information, and it's very interactive as well. So it, it allows the user to dig deeper. Um, you know, I know like you go up to a typical Best Buy machine, there's like seven brands of headphones. And so for me, it's like I'm indecisive. I want to know like what's the best headphone. I want to do some price, some comparisons. I want to understand what I'm getting. And so we offer that. And then we'll make product suggestions, you know, maybe ask a few questions and say, what are you exactly looking for? And then, okay, this is the right product for you. So it's very, yeah, it's very, very interactive. And that's what the change is. And we also, another big difference is for our particular customers who are retailers, we're B2B, is that we give our customers more insights on actually how people are engaging at their machine and how many people even walk by the machine, which is something that no other machine does currently. Yeah. Yeah. So give me a sense, you know, you mentioned your B2B, give me a sense of the business model. Since since we are talking about regulation crowdfunding and, and, you know, ultimately you're you're getting people to invest in the company, what is the revenue model um, for Popcom? Yeah, we have four streams of revenue. We have hardware. So we make a small margin on the hardware. We sell it. They own it, operate it. It's like their store. Um, the primary model and the income generating is through our software as a service. So we have a SaaS model, which means they pay every month to actually power that hardware. So it's kind of like you pay every month for a cell phone bill. You know, they pay every month to make the machine work, to connect it to the cloud, to deliver the messages, the ads, and to collect the customer data and have access to the dashboard 24-7. We also generate revenue from um, Purchases made on the vending machine. So like any typical e-commerce or commerce platform, we take a small percentage of every transaction in the form of a transaction fee. We also profit from advertisements. So we, we develop the advertising platform that allows them to sell ads on the machines, and we take a small commission and percentage from the ads as well. That's pretty fantastic. So, you know, it's not just a, a hardware model. You do have, you know, a a long-term play um, with the customers. It's very much and, like, a uh, like a Shopify model. Exactly. But, but with a physical presence. Definitely. Yeah. So l- let's talk about that physical presence. Um, Cause you have a really unique approach to what you think might be sold in this. So I'm guessing I'm not going to get my diet Coke from your machine. No, just because, you know, we can accommodate a Coke, but it just doesn't make sense for, for, for maybe for them to pay for such an expensive, um, relative to a $5,000, $10,000 Coke machine, and then the software that we that we offer. So really it's targeting consumer retail products, um, mainly like beauty, health, 
um, clothing, um, anything you need on the go. We have customers like this. So we'll sell umbrellas and shoes on the go and makeup and razor blades and shaving cream. And we also have a solution to allow customers with who are licensed to do this to sell regulated products like cannabis and alcohol. So we do have cannabis companies and alcohol companies as customers. But again, anyone just can't sell alcohol in the vending machine. You have to have a license and that's a government process. But, um, you know, almost anything can be sold in them. That's in a range from a ring box to a hat box. Right. And I think that the the blockchain technology you're incorporating really gives you an unfair advantage when you do come to some of those more regulated products. Definitely. Um, being able to offer those. Um, I was especially intrigued with, you know, on the cannabis front, you know, we live here in Detroit and we're kind of like the cannabis capital Definitely. <laughs> of America with, with all the the retail presence and innovations in retail that are happening here. But it's still a cash business. With with your technology and your blockchain, you, I think you're providing an interesting solution. Can you get into that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So the first way we use blockchain is for identity management. And that's to help keep customers identifying data secure when they use that data to verify their identity and their ability to purchase and consume a product that is regulated and that requires that verification. So we never take any information from the customer. We don't know your name. We don't know your age or anything. All that is self-verified on their on their app that they have that's connected to our vending machine. So it's a one-time app download forever. And then you just, after that, scan a QR code. And that QR code will say, this is a verified identity that can purchase this product. It also can understand the legal limits because every state, state by state, has a limit upon how much cannabis you can purchase in a day. And so it will indicate if you have purchased the legal, we won't you know, allow you to purchase more than legal limit. Also, their alcohol companies want to limit the amount of alcohol you can buy in a vending machine because there's no bartender there to check and say, okay, we're going to stop you. And of course, there's liability right. issues with, with over serving someone um, in, in alcoholic beverages. So the blockchain is there to keep the data secure so that it never can be accessed by anyone else. And you can only share data with who you want to with the QR code. Then the second way, um, is also, of course, we, we raised money on a token sale last year. Um, so we use blockchain in that way. But on the payment side, um, we cannot yet legally, uh, in dispensaries, sell cannabis or the dispensaries cannot sell cannabis and verify the ID and take payment yet because the government hasn't made it either legal or illegal. It's no law to say you can or cannot sell an age gate on a vending machine. So right now we cannot allow them to take the payments unless they already have a processor. What we can't do is dispense. So we could take the payment, but we can't dispense the cannabis. They have to pick it up from a counter. So our first right. cannabis customer, there's a setup where you order the cannabis on the kiosk. You learn all the information about the strain, you get what you want, add it to your cart, you pick it up and pay at a window. We have to take these steps until the government makes it legal to do a fully automated transaction in the cannabis space, which we're not there yet. And I think, you know, we're we're recording this and all living in the time of, of COVID-19, right? We're, we're, we're socially distanced and we're, I think we're becoming more aware of these human interactions that could, could pass disease. And that very process you're talking about right there is you know, falling in nicely with some of the social distancing processes that you're starting to see develop in retail, where, hey, maybe we are ordering from a kiosk now to go pick up our food later at a window or whatnot. And you're seeing that develop all over the place, uh, regardless of regulation. 
Absolutely. We've, re- we've definitely received an increased interest in our business and even more customers because of the need for retailers to get back into business faster and be able to sell products direct to customer without that human element. So the automation is key. And then now you can even see it going to the grocery store. I mean, that's the only place we can go yeah. these days. But yeah. everyone is choosing to self-checkout and, and distancing themselves in that way. So even restaurants, the new model is curbside carryout, you know, or um, ordering on kiosks. So we are definitely a business that's going to be able to sustain through and grow with the new way people are used to shopping and interacting. Yeah, and I think I think especially, you know, kind of looping back to what I think that killer feature is for a vending machine of being able to sell, compare, and offer alternatives to the, the shopping experience at the kiosk. Definitely. It is really, in my mind, you know, as, as a former retail guy, as a former marketing guy at Apple, one of the killer features right there. You know, the, that I just see wh- why someone would want to invest. So yeah. so let, let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about the crowdfunding. Um, you were on your, your second Regulation C crowdfunding campaign on Start Engine. You've already raised a million dollars last year. How did that? Did. Tell us about that process, the first one. Oh, gosh. The first one was very hard because we didn't know what to expect. The laws were really new. Around Reg CF, um, not, you know, not a ton of people had done it. Um, the process for approval was very tedious and long. Due diligence was long. Um, financial review process, and it took us like six months to get everything ready uh, for that crowdfunding campaign. But we did eventually launch it December two thousand and nineteen. Closed it April two thousand December two thousand and eighteen. Closed it December uh, April two thousand and nineteen. And we were um, we maxed it out at the limit of a, mil- a million seventy thousand, and I was the first female founder to do that um, to nice. max out a reg CF. And then we also did it as a token sale, which was very new and unique as well under the SEC rules, the Jobs Act, reg CF. And then this year, um, you know, because of course a scaling technology business needs more than a million dollars to grow. But a million dollars is a great, amazing foundation to create a market-ready product, identify product market fit, and then start to get early adoption and get new get customers and also sustain our team, which we did that. But we knew we needed more money all along. We knew a raise was coming the next year. Wasn't sure how we were going to do that. But we had so much momentum from the first Reg CF. It was actually oversubscribed. We had a waiting list of about $250,000 on the waiting list that was oversubscribed. I said, why not just tap into the Reg CF again? Um, and so as soon as it, the time came for us to be past our 12-month window, then we just opened up another Reg CF. And they just, I mean, literally in day one, they just started flooding in. It was really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. During COVID, it was March 31st that we launched. So as of today, it's almost at 800000 It's about 795000 yeah. right now. Yeah, I was going to say, we're about we're about a little over 30 days into it. And you're, you're you know... I would predict within a week you're going to max out again. You know, that would be amazing. <laughs> and I, I do believe we will do that again. We have we got it down to a science now. I mean, we figured figured out how to really reach our target, um, you know, investors and who, what kind of people invest, and you know, create those like audiences and the outreach that will really convert very well. So, so on that topic, let's time travel back a little bit. Let, let's go back to your first um, launch and what. What types of things did you do to try to connect to potential investors via digital marketing or email lists or, or outreach? So the first things, I mean, there's a series of things that I'll, that I'll share, but it, 
it all started with me positioning myself to be a thought leader in the industry. You can't just come out of nowhere with a product like I'm, I have this amazing product. People want to know, they invest in people. They want to know who are you and why are you the best person to do this? And so I've been an entrepreneur. This is my 20th year. This is my fourth business. And so I already had an amazing community of supporters from my previous businesses. So I will start with that. It helped to have a track record. It helped to have a huge social media following over 20,000 people on Instagram. You know, eight at that point, it was like 8,000 on LinkedIn, 10,000 on Facebook, you know, maybe 5,000 on Twitter. So it helped to have that already. But that doesn't guarantee they're going to invest, right? So I started putting out content, just feeding them information about my industry, sparking their interest in my industry, because I'm in an industry that many people didn't know about. You see many things everywhere, but you don't think about them. Like people will say like, oh, I never thought it was like that. Or I never knew 120 million people a day use vending machines. Or I never knew it was a $36 billion industry. You know, I never knew. And so, so, so you're talking, you're talking about curated content, articles, content, yeah. article across all platforms, writing media, writing medium blogs, writing LinkedIn blogs, doing posts, having a consistent information on Twitter coming out, consistent information on Facebook, consistent information on Instagram, feeding information, also positioning myself as a thought leader by contributing to industry publications, going to conferences, speaking at conferences. These are all things that, because I've raised now $3 million for this business, these are all things that I did to raise my first million, which was from venture capitalists and um, accredited angel investors. So I already had raised a million. And so I knew that I had to show that, you know, the everyday person that doesn't have maybe a lot of knowledge about the industry, why, like, I know what I'm talking about, why they can feel confident in putting their money into me. So I highly recommend, like, just putting yourself out there, you know, getting interest, building an email list. I think, you know, in our, you know, we, we are on our, I don't even know, 400th crowdfunding campaign, you know, as an agency, um, you know, been doing this since the launch of Kickstarter. I think that is the X factor that most founders miss is they, they look at, you know, previously reward based crowdfunding and now equity crowdfunding, is this magical cloud of money that'll just, you know, if I can put it up, it'll just rain down on me. Right. They think that. Yeah. And I think that they forget that the, the essence of investing, whether it's, you know, buying your thing on Kickstarter or investing in your company so you can go out and innovate in this space. It's all about who is the person driving the ship. Do I believe in that person? Does that person know what they're talking about? And and not only that, but know enough to skate to where the puck's going to be. (laughs) <laughs> not not just follow. Yeah. So that's yeah. How, when that process. So when you started positioning yourself, I imagine this is um, years before you've even thought of this idea. Yeah. So yeah, it was years before I started thought of crowdfunding, but I started my business in 2012. And so, you know, it's been a long journey, but I went to school for IT in 2000. So that kind of ages me. And I've worked in digital marketing since I got out of school in like 2001 in the early days of marketing. So I really understood the power of the internet and understood how to leverage it as a tool and understood the type of content that I need to put out because people will Google you and they're going to want to see something. And so I started making sure that I had information. And the best way to do that is through micro influencers and micro blogs, because you may not be able to get those big media placements, but you can get a lot of smaller blogs and you know podcasts to interview you they're always looking for people to interview and and (laughs) i never turned out any interview like that's that was my 
policy before. Like I don't turn down any interview. One listener is valuable. They have one reader is valuable. And so I have a ton of content out there. And I, and that's how I just said, I'm taking it. Anybody that want to talk to me, I'm taking it. You know, anybody (laughs) asking to speak, I'm talking. I think another important point and, and one of the reasons we do this podcast, you know, we, we do it not only to, to share information, you know, we are an agency, we do help people raise money with crowdfunding, but we, we are making the investment in ourselves of being one of the vectors out there that is getting this information to the public, even though we may, we, we may not personally benefit from it. Um, you do look at the cumulative mass. Now, I think this is going to be episode 190 or whatever it is, you know, um, that is a massive amount of information that is coming through our channel that we've made the investment. in, And, you know, I think it brings up a really interesting point um, that it's not just the immediate return of, Oh, cool. I got this placed in an article. I think that the reason you, one of the reasons your first campaign was so successful is you had this long tail of years of being a thought leader that now at that moment, when you're asking for a raise, and they're Googling you, they're not seeing that, oh, yeah, three months before this, this launch, you started doing press, you know? Right. It's it's years and years and years of investment in yourself as a brand and as, a as, a, as you know, a, a leader of people, a leader of ideas. Um, yeah. And yeah. I, tell, I tell founders when I speak to founders, it's from day one, we start a business, from that day. Start start putting it out there why you're the best person to do what you're doing. Even if you don't want nothing. I mean, the worst time to do something is when you want to do it when you just want to validate your business. You're not asking for money, but position yourself that way from the very, very beginning, because not only does the, these campaigns help me raise money, I get more customers. And that's always yeah. well. Revenue is always my priority, you know, getting customers and selling. So it's something that I think a lot of founders, they, they're so heads down and focused and locked in and they don't want to share. They don't want somebody to steal my idea that they don't talk about it until they need something. And then people are like, who are you? Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have a good friend um, that, that has one of the top podcasts in kind of the entrepreneurial thought space. And, you know, his whole brand was networking, you know, building networking, interpersonal relationships, really understanding the tools of in-person networking and digital networking. And that, that's one of the things he emphasizes every day on his podcast is, you know, get out there and network now, get your name out there now, make those connections before, you know, build that cupboard up before you need it when you're making an ask, because that's, what's authentic. You know, yeah. you know, they, they realize, you know, if I'm going to invest in you, I want to know that, you know, what you say is true because I'm, I'm placing a bet on you basically. You know, there's no guarantee this is going to work, right? Mm-hmm. People may not, I think they're going to like it when they see it, when they, they look at it, it's going to work. But to some degree, you know, it, it's a very informed bet. And when you're authentic and when when you've laid this foundation that you're the right person to drive this idea to market, you're investable. Investors, especially in this space, in in the regulation CF space and and, and some of the other um, more accredited spaces, they can see through the BS right away. Mm-hmm. And if yeah, all of a sudden, oh look, she launched her campaign in April, and you know, two months prior is when she started her Facebook account. <laughs> that's right. yeah, that's not a very investable or authentic uh, person. So okay, so that's the hard part. That's the part that takes time. Your campaign launches. 
What kind of activities did you do from a digital marketing standpoint, ads, email, outreach, or whatnot to, to target investors? Yeah, I mean, again, constant social media updates. We designed a lot of graphics, and we did this before the campaign launch. We had our arsenal of graphics, hundreds of graphics, graphics and, and short videos that people can watch about the product, graphics um, every $10,000. So every $5,000 up to $250,000, we post a milestone. So we'll post like 10,000 raised, 15,000 raised, 20,000. Right. So we're flooding. People were seeing it go up. They're getting excited. They're seeing it come across their timeline. We're also posting frequently asked questions. So if a question gets asked over and over again, we'll just create a post of that question and answer to address it, get people excited. We'll post things about the technology. I mean, we'll just keep staying in their faces on all social media platforms. We also invested, after we reached about 250000 which was my like warm network, my warm money from people that I mm-hmm. got from my personal email list, my personal social media, we launched Facebook ads campaigns. And we get an extremely high ROI on our Facebook ads. I mean, I think we got it just down to what, you know, maybe it's their like five or six seconds, get right yeah. to the point, pique their interest, get them to click. I mean, our campaign page today's have about 25,000 visitors um, or more, just people clicking on the page. And of course, they don't all convert, but it increases your conversion. So yeah. um, we're getting, to give you an example, our first Reg CF, we did a total of 25,000 in Facebook ads and that pixel generated 300,000 in investments. Yeah, that that's incredible, you know, and especially what we're finding in the reg space is um especially, you know, with Start Engine and WeFunder in particular, those two platforms and and, and emerging now in micro ventures is the way it's set up you're almost encouraging yourself if you're seeing results on the Facebook ad spend. You know, if you're spending a dollar and you're getting $25 back in investment, yeah. that's encouraging you to reinvest in your ad strategy and reinvest in the ad spend because it's, it's, you know, you're not selling a thing at that point to a backer where you have to then ship a product and manufacture or whatnot. Right. You're, you're generating investment quicker. And right. you know, the odds of you, the odds of you oversubscribing this time to an even higher degree is, is pretty much in your favor, you know? Because now we learned so much the last campaign that we literally took that same strategy and just ran it right back. So for example, our last campaign, it took us 90 days to reach where we have reached now in 40. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we were talking earlier about investment in a network and investment in your personal brand on social media. I think another thing that the campaign founders don't realize is the same is true for your ad account, right? Yeah. That when, when you, when you specifically with Facebook, so Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, that whole ecosystem, um, when you start cold on ads, you're not necessarily being rewarded by the algorithm with a, a higher click through rate and, and um, a, a cheaper um, ad price it takes some time and maturity and some interaction and, and, and most importantly, quality of ad quality of okay. content. And as the more you do that and the better you get at it, the Facebook algorithm will, re- will reward you more uh, with more organic reach and cheaper ad click through rates. Certainly. Have, we've seen that. Certainly we've yeah. seen that. And you know, they will, we did a lot of AB testing last year and we ran probably six different ads to see which gets the most. So we narrowed down to two, and we just ran those two. And we ran those same two ads from last year right back again. Literally yeah. the same ads. If they, were, <laughs> if they were converting so well, why change anything? 
Yeah, we exactly. Just made a picture of the product. That was it. And yeah. what people like. But it takes some time and you do have to burn through a little cash to figure out what people like, but not exactly. too much. You have to monitor it so you don't burn through too much. And I want to come back to something you just said, a picture of the product. And, and you know, I really encourage everyone um, to go to your Start Engine page um, as well as your website. And I, I, I handle the content side of Woodshed's House. You know, I do all the strategy, all the ads. You know, I'm building building the visuals, building the video. And yes, you know, the proper algorithm, the proper statement at, at second number three, and these things are a factor into your ad um, performance. But nothing beats the, here's a beautiful image of a product, and I instantly get it the moment I look at it. Yeah. But still. And yours does that. Thanks. And, you know, I don't have to describe this. I see it. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you say vending, I get a picture of it. It says, welcome to Omnichannel. Okay, I want to click that. What, what is this thing? I want to, I want to learn more. And not all, not all offerings and products are going to be as simple as yours. But I think people need to strive when you're, when you're doing ads. You have to get the data side correct. And you really, you know, to all the campaign founders out there, you really have to find a way to effortlessly communicate your message in a single image. You know, what, do I get it? Do I have to deduce this? Or do I say, I want to learn more about that because that looks cool. And very you know? clean product shots. Like, just make the investment to get a very clean, crisp product shot, you know, in front of a white background, like, not on, you know, not on your iPhone. Like, just pay a photographer. It's worth it. Yeah. It's, it's such a struggle. <laughs> I tell you, it's such a struggle. And, um, you know, we, we, we had, I think last year on Start Engine Alone, we had four campaigns um, match the reg. And, and Amazing. Yeah, similar to you, Money in the Bank. And I think that's a, um, a common denominator amongst those that, that maxed is, here it is. I can see it. And, and it makes our job so much easier when I have this well of amazing content where it's not just one good photo. Okay. Let's hope this works. Well, like you said, you had six different options to choose from and, and pick yeah. the best two performers out of that six. Um, so that, you know, I think that's the key to this, you know, that we find and hopefully it resonates with you is investment in yourself as a founder and a thought leader investment in the, the tools that you're going to need um, in the process of this. So, you know, you had those graphics ready to go. You had those emails ready to go and you made the investment in the content um, to be able to, to show a beautiful page and a beautiful product and let the investor kind of imagine this in a mall space or an office space or yeah. at the, at the front of the, the movie theater or wherever this thing might end up. I can visualize, oh, I can see that in that spot I shot. I like that. <laughs> you know. Thanks. So lastly, as we wrap up here, um, tell us about how you're going to put the money to work. How are you going to scale your company and grow with these two years of, uh, of CF uh, investment? Definitely. And it's getting to put to work now. What, what I love about Start Engine is you can take disbursements once you reach 120%. Um, after 21 days. So we've already got yeah. our first disbursement and definitely put it to work. And this round was really focused on scaling. The last round was focused on building the product that we could could scale that's fully manufacturable, um, you know, improving our MVP software platform, making it really just a beautiful software platform. And now with all the changes in retail, 
Um, we want to be able to offer our customers, which are retailers, the machines faster and not all the money up front. So we want to be able to float some of that cost um, for them to get the machine out faster. So the prior model was they pay all up front, you know, $20,000 for hardware. And last year they were ready to do that, but things have changed for them. Yeah. They've been closed for three months. And so we want to help them get back in business faster. So we want to really have more cash reserves on our side to, to help our customers get to market faster, which again, helps us get to market faster as a software company. We also need to make a few more hires, um, you know, hire a, a head of sales. I've, I've been really leading sales for the past several years, which a founder should do, but right. now we're at a place to scale and, you know, it's time, you know, to hire someone and I know exactly who we want to hire. And then, you know, we're going to double down once everything opens back up on um, being at industry trade shows like we've been so, so far, but being at more of the shows, hopefully they don't get canceled. The first quarter is the <laughs> biggest shows for us. So hopefully yeah. they'll still be around and, you know, just have enough runway to get us to our next path to profitability. So given us, you know, my goal is with this race and the next race coming up, also crowdfunding to get us 36 months of runway in an uncertain you know, economy where we are facing a recession and make sure that we continue, that my team is, you know, their jobs are secure and that our products are secure for our customers. Okay. So um, right now uh, you're, you're at 794 as we talk here, I think on, on May 7th. There's about 56 days left. I think you got a week left. <laughs> I'm um, Yeah. Um, Talk, let's talk about some of the tiers. If, if I'm, you know, a lot of advice out there for a, a project founder to, to kind of follow your best example. But what if one of our listeners want to become an investor? Um, talk about what they what they can expect from you. So the different levels of investment. Tiers. Yep. Okay. First, I thought you meant the tiers, like how many painful moments <laughs> <laughs> that too <laughs> so I got many of those <laughs> but um you know really of course start engine has their own level which if you're a previous start engine investor there is a 10 percent start engine owner's bonus for people that actually invested in start engine as a platform so they offer that and then the silver tier which we believe like every investor deserves to be you know everybody's special like you know no more special anybody else. We treat everybody pretty much like the same. So we have um, investor meet and greet. So last year I went to five cities and hosted meet and greets. And we had like over a hundred investors in each city. You know, we host to just get together. They could talk to me. We could just connect with each other because at that point it was 2,200 investors in the first round. So we're going to host a meet and greet. Now in lieu of like COVID, what we're doing is going to use a platform called Hopin and host a popcom investor conference only for us. And it's nice. going to be cool because I'll have my team presenting to get to really connect with us and it'll be very interactive and chat and talk and, you know, all those on this virtual conference platform. But when the world opens up and is safe again, we will go back on the city tour again. We also have a private um, closed off popcom investor Facebook group. There's about 500 investors in there. They're very active. We have a total now of three. 3,000 investors. So we're encouraging more investors to join the Facebook group. That's where I post updates regularly. And then we just like talk and chat and share opportunities. Um, also, if you invest the next tier, then we will give you a shout out on Instagram, acknowledge you as an investor. So that's 500 plus. 
And on the platinum tier, we're going to have recognition on our website. So we'll have a section on our website. You get everything else the other ones got and then recognition on our website. And then on 5,000 plus, we're going to create an investor wall in our showroom. We have a very beautiful um, retail showroom in Columbus, Ohio, where we're based. So we'll put HR investors' names on the wall. And then for the 10,000 diamond tier, which we do have several of those, actually, um, everything else that you get, but then also dinner with me and my team <laughs> in Columbus. And, you know, that'll be a fun time. Nice. When we can do it. <laughs> when we when we can uh, be amongst people. We can do it. But in the meantime, the Facebook group is live. Of course, the website is up and faith, you know, and um, we'll be doing that conference. So we'll be doing that summit and uh, get letting everybody just get on and, and talk and interact with each other, which it's great to have a community of investors because 3000 people investing, there's more leverage there. And I really want to be able to share more opportunities with them besides just Popcom. And, I, and that's what I have done. I've shared other campaigns with them and said, listen, you guys, I invested in this. I'm sharing yeah. this with you guys. So leveraging 3000 investors is a powerful group of people. Yeah, and especially this type of investment with Regulation CF, not only are they, you know, financially invested in your success, but, you know, this is a megaphone that can that can tout your brand, your your values, and your ideas and, and lead to more, more business. Yeah, They have. They're great. Well, this, this is a no-brainer. <laughs> this is, a, to me, this is a beautiful campaign, well-executed both times around. Um, and, and the product is, is innovative. Um, Don, you're, you're crushing it. It's great. Thank you. Um, for you, I'm going to people your way for sure, because I get, as you can imagine, tons of people asking me to help them do crowdfunding. Yeah. I'm not in the business of that. Yeah. So I'm exactly. going to find you because I'm going to send them to you. Trust me. We, we, we love to help people. So, um, found project founders and investors alike head over to start engine, um, she'll be on the cover, but if you don't see it, um, uh, search Popcom and, um, get on board this thing. Um, check it out as a founder. Everything is done correctly here. It's a beautiful page. If you're an investor, um, give it a good look. <laughs> we, we, we can't encourage anything, but I'd say give it a good look. Thank it's, you so much. Uh, I appreciate it's a great that. platform. Well, it's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sean. And, and stay like safe. People your way. Stay safe. Likewise. Stay safe and stay healthy. All right. All righty, all righty. Thanks so much to Dawn and uh, Popcom. What a great conversation. Uh, go check that out. Go look at it over on Start Engine and get in while you can. It's a really cool project and and uh, a CEO that clearly knows her business. Um, so let's do some business here on our side. Uh, Woodshed Agency. We are a um, crowdfunding consulting agency and digital marketing firm. If you are a project creator out there or a business owner or someone with an idea that thinks you might like to bring it to the world using the tools of reward-based crowdfunding like Kickstarter or Indiegogo, um, we're the people to talk to. Or if you're a business owner, a brewery owner, someone out there who, who thinks they need to raise the capital to scale their business and you think investment crowdfunding, like we just talked about here with Dawn, is possibly a way for you to, to, to grow your business, reach out and talk to us. Go to woodshed.agency. And right there, you can book a time, book a free consultation to talk to Jeff or I. We'll, we will talk to anybody for 20, 30 minutes, listen to your project idea, give you all of our best tips and tricks and, and ways that you can go out there and become successfully funded. And who knows? Maybe if the, the vibe is right and everything feels good, you might want to invite us to, to come be part of it with you. But that's not all. 
we like to you know share all of our best practices and ideas with the world for free. So you can go over to Facebook and sign up for our successfully funded Facebook group with Woodshed Agency. Go to the Woodshed Agency Facebook page and ask for an invite to that group there. And we're also trying something new in uh, social distancing over on the platform Discord. This is the, a chat platform that you can download on your desktop or your phone. Um, we have a Woodshed Agency discussion group there. And, and over there, we're doing some really interesting things. We are uh, not only having um, some bourbon and discussion parties on uh, on Thursday or Friday nights, kind of talking about startups and, and uh, equity and, and crowdfunding, but we're doing some of our seminars and presentations and and kind of kind of seeing new ways we can reach out to the uh, crowdfunding public there over on Discord. So uh, download the Discord app, uh, search for Woodshed Agency, ask for an invite. We've got a lot of cool things going on over there. And uh, Or you can just straight up email us. My name is Sean Neal over at Woodshed Agency. My email is Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at woodshed.agency. Shoot me an email. Hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, and the Twitter I'll be more than happy to uh, to chat with you and talk with you back, all right? So, that's it. Equity Crowdfunding Podcast number one in the books. Hopefully, uh, you guys had a great time, and uh, we will see you again.